0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Page 357 This is letter number 20 of the 32 letters Fourth part of the Tanya. These are the letters that were collected by the children of the Alter Rebbe after his passing, and this letter is very unique. Essay, a letter. Firstly, it's the only of the thirty-two letters which they had the writing of the Alter Rebbe himself. All the other letters were collected were copies. Of letters that Al Rebbe sent out, and they copied those letters. They didn't have the original. This letter is the only of the thirty-two letters that they actually had the original writing, because Alter Rebbe never sent this out. He wrote it, and it was never sent out. He wrote this actually a few days before his passing, literally a few days before his passing. And this letter is. Letter 20, which in the Hebrew language is chaf, which is like the Kessa, the crown. You can imagine right before the Alta Rebbe's passing. This is the crown, the culmination of all his creativity, of all his thinking, of his revolutionary approach. And it's interesting because at the time the Alter Rebbe was making the transition, about to pass on, to leave this world, this physical world, and to go on to his eternal rest, to make the transition to the spiritual world, you know, at a time like that, you become completely spiritual, as was the case with the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe, the Saturday night, the night that he passed away, he turned to his grandson. His son was not with him at the time. His grandson, who was later on became the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, was with him, and he turns to him and he says, he turns to the beam, he says, do you see, what do you see? Do you see the beam? He says, I see a beam. He says, I don't see the beam. I see the divine energy that's creating the beam. Even with his physical eyes, right before he passed away, he no longer saw the physical, he saw the godly energy was able to see with his naked eye, he was able to see the godly energy that's constantly creating everything. The equivalent would be, in the language of modern physics, you're able to see the atoms and able to see the energy. Matter is really energy. But you don't see that. Until 100 years ago, we didn't even know it existed. And yet that's the energy, the dynamics. But we don't see that. And Alter Rebbe, right before he passed away, he was physically able to see that. And something similarly happened to his master and teacher, Rabbi Dov Ber, the Maggid of Mezritch, who was the second leader of the Hasidic movement. And he said, obviously he was speaking about himself, he also passed away, he passed away in Yutetz Kislev. And he told the Rabbi, Rebbe, this day will be a great day for us, because that was the day of liberation. And he said that three days before you've turned the neshama, you return the package that Hashem gave us to protect, return the soul back to its maker you no longer see the physical but you see the divine energy that's creating the physical so here the Alter Rebbe reached a state where where he's making the transition to spirituality and even, even physically he was already seeing the spiritual and the divine and the energy he was no longer seeing the physical and yet what's the theme of this letter and the theme of that other short essay that he wrote It was about how powerful the physical is. How important the physical is. The true root and source of the material. And that the material is the ultimate. The physical and the material is rooted in the ultimate. It is rooted in the essence of Hashem himself. And that's the theme of this letter. And it's no wonder that the apex and the epitome of the Alter Rebbe's creativity, the climax of the Alter Rebbe's creativity, and revolution, expresses itself about creativity, creation, a revolutionary understanding of creation, something that was never written before, the Alter Rebbe never wrote this before, and something that he revealed literally days before he passed away. And a, com- a revolutionary understanding of creation that we, uh, we had no clue before. Everything that we learned till now in the Tanya didn't even give us a hint of what he's about to say here. I remember hearing from the Rebbe, now the Rebbe writes in one of his Hasidic discourses in Torah Ur, which is the Hasidic discourses on the portions, Torah portions of the week. So in Parsha VaYigash, Alter Rebbe writes he says something very novel he says when oh, Mashiach will come we're going to say the Shemona Esrei we're going to say the Shemona Esrei today we call it the silent prayer because it has to be silent we have to say it silently oh, Mashiach will come we're going to say it out loud like the rest of Davening you don't have to turn silent it comes from Mashiach everyone suddenly is silent and you read quietly and silently he says, Mashiach will come, and he explains in the Sheva Brachas, in the seven blessings, we say under the Chuppah, when you get married. So, the earlier blessings, you say, Mesamech Hasan Imakala, that, that God will rejoice the chasan with the Kala. So, the Hasan is mentioned first, and the kallah is together with the chasan. Just like under the kiddushin, under the chuppah, the Kiddushan ceremony, the husband gives the ring. The husband says, you are sanctified to me. You are betrothed to me, according to the laws of Moses in Israel. And the kala is quiet. She doesn't say anything. She just is silent, quiet, and accepts it. And puts her finger out, her index finger, and she receives the ring. But he says, O oh, Mashiach will come. In the end of the blessing, the seventh blessing, we say kol chasen v'kol kala. Suddenly the kala has a voice (laughs) under the chapa. She's quiet. Because what's the theme of the seventh blessing? The seventh blessing we talk about in the future. Adi Shama, Bari Yehuda, V'chutzer Yerushalayim, Mashiach will come. And we'll have the ultimate rejoicing, the ultimate wedding between the Jewish people and Hashem. And then we're going to hear the voice of the chasen and the voice of the kala. Mashiach will come, the Kalo will find their voice, the Kalah will speak. And he says, like now we daven Sheminesrei, we're silent. Sheminesrei is like the chuppah, it's like the moment of intimacy with Hashem. Hashem is the groom and we're the bride, so we're silent and quiet. We say, it's called the silent prayer. Mashiach will come, we're going to say Sheminesrei out loud. You look anywhere in the Torah, anywhere in the books written from the time of Sinai till Al-Tarebdi, there's no source for this. Where's the source? Where did Altar Rebbe get this? Where does it say? It's not written in the Zohar. It's not written anywhere. In Kabbalah. Nowhere. Where does it say that Mashiach is going to come? We're going to say the Shemone Aser silently, uh, out loud. I remember hearing the Rebbe said he must have heard it from Atzmus Muhus. So he heard it from Hashem himself. <laughs> he heard this. I mean, to say such... And he says it with a simplicity. He doesn't say, maybe, this is the way it's going to be. Mashiach will come. He's saying, halachically, this is what's going to be. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to say the esrei out loud. Of course, the esrei will be completely different than it is now. Half of the prayer today, we're praying for Mashiach to come. Obviously, once Mashiach comes, all the blessings will change and everything will be changed. But nevertheless, we're still going to be a esrei. But instead of being a silent prayer, it's going to be a loud prayer. We're going to find our voice. But this revolution this innovation this novelty that Alter Rebbe expresses here what's his source where did he get this from it seems unprecedented it's not mentioned anywhere It's not hinted at anywhere but Al Rebbe must have heard it from, from the essence of Hashem himself from Hashem himself And the truth is that the Altar Rebbe prided himself. He called himself the grandchild of the, of the Baal Shem Tov. He once visited Mezhibuz, and he went to the Altar Rebbe, he went to the Baal Shem caver in Mezhibuz. That's where the Baal Shemtiv lived, and that's where he's buried. Rabbi Baruch Mezhibuz, who was the grandson of the Baal Shemtiv, he was the Rebbe in Mezhibuz. And you couldn't to visit the cave. you had to first get permission from Rabbi Baruch. And Alte rebbe didn't ask him for permission. He went. He went by himself. He went and visited. Rabbi Baruch got very upset. He says, "How dare you come? And it's my town. I'm the grandchild. I'm, and you can't just go into the Shemta without my permission." So Alte Rabbi told him, "You are the physical grandchild. I am the Barshamta spiritual grandchild." And so much so, when they arrested him the second time and they had questions about Hasidus and very profound questions about Hasidus and they arrested him. And um, so they asked Al Rebbe, why did you take this upon yourself? You could have just said... I'm not Bashem bashemt of Chassid. I'm a Chassid of Rabbi Dov Be'er, The Magidim is rich. You have any questions? Go to his grandson, Rabbi Baruch of Medjabuz. He's a grandson. Um, now he could have said, "I'm a Chassid of Rabbi Dov Be'er. and it wouldn't be a lie. He wouldn't. He doesn't. You know, in the Talmud, there's a concept. You can say something if you're in a sticky situation. You know, you can't tell a lie. But you don't have to tell the whole truth either. I'm a chassid of the Rabbi Dov Ber. Yes, of course, Rabbi Dov Ber was a chassid of the Balshamtu, so being a chassid of Rabbi Dov Behr automatically makes me a chassid of the Balshamtu. But nevertheless, he could have told the authorities, what do you want from my life? I never met the Balshamtu in my life. You, you, have compl- you have arguments and complaints about what the Balshamtu said. Go to his grandson, where I'm, what do you want from me? I'm a chassid of Rabbi Dov Ber. But he answered, while well, the Rebbe answered, I didn't want to be disconnected from the Balshamtu. Even for a moment, even in namesake, I want everyone to know that I am his chasid and I am his grandson, his spiritual grandson. So ultimately, and we saw that in the Tanya. The second part of the Tanya, the Altarev, Rebbe starts right away. The whole second part of Tanya, Upirush HaBal he starts out with the explanation of the Baal how the divine energy is constantly creating the world. The first part of the Tanya, what's the name of the Tanya? Seva Shalbenanit. The average Jew, the simple Jew. This was the revolution of the Baal Shem Tov who loved the simple Jew. And the Alter Rebbe was the first one to write a book whose hero was not the saint, but the simple Jew, the Benet. Following in the footsteps of the Baal Shem Tov, the Alter Rebbe didn't leave down to the the dot. He followed the Baal Shem Tov. He wanted everyone to know he's a chassid of the Baal Shem Tov. And everything the Baal Shem Tov was into, he sacrificed his life to communicate the wellsprings of the Baal Shem Tov. So the truth is even this innovation that he writes here also comes from the Baal Shem Because if you ask anyone what is the revolution of the Baal Shem everyone will tell you the Baal Shem Tev taught that every Jew has a pentele yid and every Jew has a holy soul and a holy spark and every Jew is a piece of Hashem and And therefore you have to love every Jew with all your heart and all your soul unconditionally. No strings attached. and The Pintelite. How special the Jewish soul is. And you have to reveal the soul. You have to bring out the soul and reveal. Sometimes you have to dig a little deeper, but... If you dig into each and every jewel, you'll find the living waters, you'll find the soul, you'll find the faith, you'll find all those hidden treasures. But the truth is the Baal Shemte's revolution was much deeper than that, much more profound. And this was actually revealed by the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. I, I don't know if we knew about this before. He, he in his fabreng I think it was here in America actually, he quotes an uh, an interpretation of the Barshemtiv, which seemed to be completely novel. I don't know if it was brought down before or earlier. You have to ask the uh, scholars and the experts. He comments, and the Barshemtiv commented on the Psalm 107, which we say every Friday before on Mincha before Shabbos. We thank Hashem, and there it says. He talks about those who are hungry and thirsty, the four who have to give thanks to Hashem, thanksgiving for saving them, those who sat in prison and those who traveled in the desert. And, and those who talks about those who are traveling in the desert, they're thirsty and they're, 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 they're hungry, they're hungry and thirsty. Their soul is about to faint. And Hashem saves them and rescues them, and, and they survive that experience. And they have to give thanks to Hashem. So, Tov said that when a Jew is hungry, they ate You're thirsty, you're hungry, it's main, you're thirsty. So you think you're thirsty and hungry. It's a natural need. My body is hungry. My body is thirsty. I have a thirst, I have a hunger, a physical thirst, a physical hunger. I don't associate it with anything spiritual or godly. I'm, a, I'm human and I'm I th- have a human thirst and have a human hunger for food. Whatever we're hungering for, we're hungering for something physical. So that's what you think. You think that it's just a physical hunger. But the truth is, mem desata, what are you really hungry for? It's coming from a deeper place. You're really hungering for the godly spark. It's really a godly hunger. Something gets lost in the translation. You think that it's physical. But what's underneath it, what's the underlying that physical hunger? It's really a godly hunger. As the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Marash said, and this is the Hayom Yom of the third day of Tammuz, the day the Rebbe passed away, that when a Jew sighs, a Jew sighs, even for something physical, and you give a krech, a sigh, anachah, you think you sighing for something physical, but the truth is that in that sigh, there's something very deep and very godly and very profound. You're really sighing. It's a, it's a spiritual brokenheartedness. A godly, it's a godly sigh. It's, it's really your soul is yearning to connect with Hashem. So this whole idea that the physical is really godly, that it's not the way it appears to be. It's the exact opposite of what it appears to be. That the physical is really godly. You know, this is something revolutionary. This is something completely counterintuitive. This is something we'd never in a million years even suspect. That I'm physically hungry, and you're telling me that that hunger is really a godly hunger? I'm hungering for the godly sparks. I'm sighing because of something physical, and really I'm sighing for tshuva. I want to return to Hashem, and my heart is broken. Where did you see that in <laughs> the physical? I don't see that. It's just physical and material. This is not just that deep down our soul, we have a soul, and our Neshama, and our Neshama is godly, and our Neshama yearns for godliness, and we're the prince, and we yearn to connect. The Baal Shemta's revolution is much deeper than the Baal Shemta's revolution and as articulated by the Alter Rebbe in this powerful letter, written right before he passed away, and he articulates where this comes from, that the, 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 what's so unique about the material, and the material and the physical is rooted in the very essence of God. Ultimately, this also comes from the Boshan. As a true grandchild, he didn't veer one iota from the wellsprings of the Boshan. But this was completely revolutionary. Nothing we learned in Tanya till now prepares us for what we're about to learn. about to re- This is, if you will, the, the Alter Rebbe is preparing us for a different world. You know, the world is about to make a transition. You know, up until that point, Alter Rebbe passed away In the beginning of 1813, the world was making a transition away from monarchy, from a world where there's authority, and making its way. You know, this was the height of the Enlightenment. Russia was just finished battling with Napoleon. And Russia beat Napoleon with the help of the Alter Rebbe. And Alter Rebbe was opposed to Napoleon, but he just delayed it. It wasn't. It was just a delayed. He just pushed it off a few generations. Ultimately, ultimately, Napoleon won. The age of monarchy. It, that's all gone. So it was a brave new world, and for the Jew, it was a very strange world a very, very hostile world, a very puzzling world for the Jews. Because up until that point, even the non-Jewish world, they believed in authority. They believed in God. Even the philosophers, Aristotle, Plato, they talk about theology, they talk about God. All the great philosophers, medieval philosophers, God was very much part of their thinking, part of their life, part of their reality, thinking. It may have not refined them, may have not changed them. The world was pretty corrupt and backwards. But God was a reality. And even those, when the world reached a point where they started rebelling against God and denying God and fighting God, the atheistic philosophers started fighting God. But God was part of the language. I'm for God, I'm against God. It's it's a discussion. But with the Enlightenment, with Napoleon, and and what we see today, the world has reached a point where God is no longer part of the discussion. God has become completely irrelevant. I'm not for, I'm not against. I mean, it's just not part of the equation. I couldn't care less. I'm indifferent. I, I don't have to fight God. God is so, is so irrelevant, I don't even have to fight him. You want to believe in him, it makes you happy. Believe in him. You don't believe in him. I mean, it's a free country, do whatever you want, but what do I care? It's so not part of the public discourse. It's so not part of life. Children are not even allowed to have a moment of silence in America children are not allowed to even stop for a moment and think about God. It's forbidden, prohibited. Separation of church and state. God forbid this distorted interpretation of separation of church and state, which is the farthest from the truth and farthest from the intention of our founding fathers. But, but this, is the, this is the world that we live in. This is, for a Jew, this is a very strange world. The the Jew is about to enter into a world that was completely foreign to the Jew. To us, God is such a reality. The beginning, the middle, the end. We're constantly praying to God. We're constantly doing His mitzvah. We're constantly studying His Torah. Every act of goodness and kindness is an expression. is trying to emulate God. We believe in redemption. We, we, we're coming from somewhere. God created the world for a reason and for a purpose. There's a purpose. There's a, there's a plan. There's a goal. There's a theme. There's a mission. There's... It's so alive for us. And even the non-Jewish world, they believed in God. In their way. But God is a part of the discussion, part of the consciousness, part of the reality. But suddenly, a new, brave new world, the world is entering into a new era with the passing of the Alter Rebbe. And it just fast-forwarded from there and went downhill from there. The world is entering a brave new world where God is completely out of the picture. So nothing that the Jew has learned till now prepared him, could prepare him for this new brave reality. How do you deal with this world? What kind of world is this? Why would God create and how can God create a world that completely... Denies him. It's not that he denies him. Denial is good. (laughs) Denial means that it's part of the discussion. That has some relevance. If I'm denying it, that means it's relevant. A world which doesn't even bother to deny, because it's completely... A world which is self-contained. Where ego becomes absolute, absolute ego. A world where there's no history. There's no connection, there's no history. We come from nowhere... We're going nowhere. Everything is meaningless. Live for the moment. Have fun. Nothing matters. There's no point. There's no purpose. There's no... I mean, it, it's, it's a world that's so... Not only contrary to Jewish faith. It's a shocking world to anyone who's truly intellectual. Because the truly intelligent person, the truly intellectual person, the nature of intellect the searching mind is to find the reason behind everything. Everything has to have a reason. It has to have, what, what, what's, what's really behind this? What is really making this tick? What is really. You have to understand. You want to understand. You want to understand. You want to go deeper. What is really the reason behind this? Why does this work and this doesn't work? And why is this this way and not this way? And what, what's causing it? What's the cause? So everything has a meaning, everything has a purpose, everything has a content, everything has. But a world is completely unmoored. A world that's not bothered by this. It. It's not bothered by the philosophical quest. A world that's not even searching for answers. I'm not seeking, I'm not searching. I have, nothing is bothering me, nothing is troubling me. I'm very happy, I'm proud. I'm proud of who I am. I'm parade parade in the streets. I, there's nothing bothering me. I don't, I'm not looking for any deep answers. I'm not looking for any deep reasons. I'm not looking for any understanding. I am. I exist. I don't need a rhyme. I don't need a reason. I don't need a justification. I don't have to explain myself. Reality begins and ends with me. Me, myself, and I. And it's all that matters. Nothing matters completely insignificant. It doesn't mean anything. This is a very strange world, and it has to trouble you. A person who's a really thinking person, a person who takes life seriously, takes himself seriously, takes life seriously, it, it almost... Reduces life to like a joke and meaninglessness, and absolute, absolute nihilism, absolute meaninglessness, and it's in this vacuum that we can have all the the consequences. Are we have all the nonsense that we were discussing earlier? Mm. There's no right and there's no wrong and there's no truth and there's no false and there's no right. There's no there's no distinctions and there's no there's no morality and there's no, there's nothing, absolute nothingness, meaninglessness. Emptiness. And this is, this is... So this whole reality, there's nothing that a Jew learned in the Talmud, in the Torah, in Kabbalah, in Musr. And even in Hasidus, till the al Terebi wrote this letter right before his passing that could help him understand and prepare him for what's about to come, for this brave new world where the Jew felt completely unmoored. You take a Jew from Eastern Europe, living in a ghetto, in a sheltered world, in a pure world, a Jew who's immersed in Torah, immersed in Kabbalah, immersed in Hasidus. His whole life is Hashem. His whole life is morality. His whole life is meaning and purpose, higher purpose, going deeper and deeper. A life filled with content and with meaning and with soul and with neshama and with spirituality. Drop him into the twenty-first century, I, I, he would—he would be lost. He would—he 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 thought he's landed on Mars. <laughs> what type of universe are we living in? Not because he doesn't speak the language. It's just the whole language, the whole social context, the whole philosoph- the philosophy, the whole. He would just like, what universe am I living in? Where, where did I fall into? What universe am I living in? It's—it's complete breakaway from anything that preceded it. There's nothing that prepares you for it. So how do you understand this brave new world? How does a Jew understand what is going on here? What's Hashem's intention? What does Hashem want? What's the goal? What's the purpose? What's this all about? What's really happening? You can't just say that, you know, it's a question of Tim the classical conventional understanding, the way we learned it till now in the Tanya. first part of the Tanya, the second part of the Tanya, Tzimtzum, Hashem hid his light. And because Hashem hid his light, therefore, he was able to create a world that seems separate from Hashem. He contracted his light, and he minimized his light, and he screened his light, and and he hid his light, and therefore, he created a world that's concealed. The world is olam, comes from the world concealment, the world was created through the name of Lakim, so therefore the world is limited, concealed, separate. That doesn't, that doesn't do it. That explains, yes, a world that's at the bottom of the rung, the world that's um, at the bottom of the totem pole, the world that's all the way, that's very diminished, where you can hardly see any light. We're like the stone of the universe. Just like in our world you have a stone, you don't see any life in it. Of course the stone has a life, it has an energy, otherwise it wouldn't exist. But you don't see any movement, you don't see it's a stone. Then you have a higher form of life, the plant life, the organic life. You see you see life in the form that it's growing, it's changing, it's growing. It's a lower form of life because the life expresses itself in growing the physical, in growing the, the body of the plant. And then... You have an animal life, a higher form of life. It roams, it moves, it's kind of sentient, it's conscious. Then you have the higher form, highest form of life. Man, man has imagination, man can think, man can wonder, man can question, man sees the whole picture, unlike the animal. And then you have the Jewish life, which is connected with Hashem and connects the whole world with Hashem. Okay, so we are the stone of the, of the, of the universe where life is completely diminished and minimized and you don't see anything. You don't detect any life hardly. Just that it's being, it's existence. But that doesn't explain. That doesn't explain the universe that we're living in now. This world, this zeitgeist, this whole zeitgeist and the whole culture and the whole universe that we're living in. It's almost like an alternative universe completely disconnected, completely unmoored. A world that doesn't even question, doesn't even have any curiosity. Doesn't even want to know where it comes from. You ask any five-year-old child, you see a painting. You think there's a painter? You see a book. You think there was an author who thought of this book, who wrote the book, wrote you see a building. You think there was a builder involved? You think the Empire Stable? you think somebody built it or just there was a, a, a great explosion and an accident one weekend and, and he came the next morning and everything was there and miraculously, uh, you know, big bang one Sunday morning and all came together. And, you know, I mean, I, you ask any five-year-old child. It's a country, I think it's a George Washington or a Thomas Jefferson, there's probably some founding fathers who thought of this idea, put it together, I mean, nothing just happens by itself. And yet, this universe, which zero curiosity, absolute no, no curiosity. I am, and I feel very comfortable in that position. I don't have to explain myself, I don't have to justify myself. I am because I am. Ego. And everyone is born with this ego. It comes natural. Seven billion people, all, cuts across all cultures. You don't have to go to school to be egotistically selfish, self-centered. It's the most natural feeling in the world. (laughs) As far as we're concerned, we always existed. We can't even imagine a time when we didn't exist. Maybe intellectually, philosophically, abstractly, but emotionally, psychologically, I am. This is reality. There never was a time that I didn't exist, and we can't imagine a time that I want to exist. That's why death is impossible. We can't accept death. It's so traumatic because... We just can't, it's not possible, what do you mean I'm not going to exist? I'm going to stop existing, it just it can't be. I am, and I'm the center of the universe, and I, uh, my being is absolute, and I always was and I always will be, and I'm self-contained, and I don't need any justification, I don't need a rhyme, I don't need a reason. And that's it, and I'm very happy, I'm very comfortable with it. Emotionally feels very, very comfortable, very satisfying. I don't need, I don't, I'm not curious, I'm not looking, I'm not searching. And today we actually are very proud of being who we are. We're not trying to change and we're not looking to change. And we're, be, we're told, God forbid, anyone should even suggest that you may change. God forbid, you'd probably be arrested if you even suggest to someone that maybe, God, maybe you can change. And No, you have to be proud of who you are. You're the coarse, crass person that you are and rigid person that you are and stifling and stuck. And you are stuck and we're going to celebrate your stuckness. And be satisfied and happy and content and self-smug. And uh, this, is, this is the zeitgeist. This is the culture today. Zero curiosity. What the Shimon Peres say? History doesn't matter. <laughs> no, nothing matters. There's no history. There's no past. There's no future. Just live for the moment. Nothing matters. Truth, reality, fact. Don't bother me. Don't confuse me with such nonsense. It's all about getting your picture taken, getting a Nobel Prize, nothing else matters, getting my name, as long as you spell my name, just having, I should be in the front page of the paper, I'll cut corners, there's no morality, nothing means anything, I'll do anything, it doesn't mean anything. We're just a blip in the universe anyway, what difference does it make, have fun, live your life, enjoy life, and it's all that matters. This is, <laughs> where does this come from? You can't just say it's just God is hiding and it's just an illusion and, and you know, it's a Maya, it's one big illusion. Al Rebbe says, no, no, it's not, just, it's not just, it doesn't explain it. You can't explain this world that we're living in, this universe that we're living in, this whole culture that we're living in. And senses it, that this is the way where the world is going. This is the, the new brave reality that's, that's like a shock, a shock to the system. We're, 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 a, Jew, a Jew was continuing for thousands of years and carrying on the tradition for thousands of years and the belief in God and the belief in meaning and purpose. How, how do you deal with this reality? What's behind it? What's it all about? What's the purpose? What does Hashem want with it? Where is it coming from? So the Altar Rebbe says something very shocking and very new and very bold and very true. He says, you know where this comes from? This comes from the very essence of Hashem. Because the absolute essence of Hashem doesn't need any justification. Hashem is. Has no cause. There's no reason. Everything in this universe has a reason. Everything Everything in this universe has an origin. Nothing just is. There has to be a reason why it is every student has a teacher every effect has a cause there's a precedent you see light, there's a sun everything has an origin, a root, a source, a reason to justify its existence why it's here nothing just is with one exception Hashem Hashem, that's the definition of Hashem He doesn't have a cause He doesn't have a reason He doesn't need a reason just is. He's an absolute being. His being is something we cannot fathom, we cannot even begin to fathom. Hashem just is. And Hash, it's Hashem who created the physical, the material. This sense of ego. The sense of absolute being, which is exactly the way we feel. That's how the ego feels. The ego is like an absolute being. We exist. We always had existed. We always will exist. We don't need a reason for existing. I don't need any justification. Where does this feeling come from? It can't come from the universe because there's nothing in the universe that feels this way. Everything in the universe has a reason. You can't give what you don't have. Even the divine energy with which God creates the world. Hashem creates the world with His light. Well, Hashem's light also has an origin. Hashem. So you can't give what you don't have. So where do we get this feeling of absoluteness, of ego? Where does ego come from? It doesn't fit with the whole universe. It doesn't fit with the divine Light and infinite light. Where does it come from? It comes from the essence of Hashem. Hashem is absolute. And where did He invest Himself, so to speak? Where did Hashem invest His essence? In the physical. In the physical world. Because this is the most powerful drive and force of everything that exists in the physical world. What is the most powerful drive in this world? Self-preservation. To continue your existence. From the amoeba, everything is trying to continue its existence. Ego. Continue your existence. Which is pure ego. Why should you continue your existence? I don't need a why. What is the meaning of existence? For something spiritual, existence means something spiritual. What is the meaning of my existence? What is the truth of my existence? What is the depth of my existence? Everything in this physical world, the tree, the animal, everything, its just to continue my existence. I should continue existence. Extend my existence. Broaden my existence. Not to go deeper and have a greater content and a greater truth. No. To physically extend my existence. I should continue to live another day. I should continue my existence. I should... Why? What? When? Where? I don't need a why. That's just being, just existing. For no reason. Just being and just existing. That's the motivation. That's the ultimate motivation. The ultimate drive. Ego. Where's this coming from? It's so contrary to the whole universe, which is about spirituality, truth, content, meaning, purpose, why, entering the question why. Here we have a world which seems to be completely self contained. Doesn't need any why, doesn't need any justification. I don't need any reason, rhyme or reason. I exist because I exist, and I want to continue my existence, and I will do anything in my power to continue my existence. And I can't contemplate my not being and my not existence. can't contemplate death. I can't contemplate it. It's tragic. There's absolutely no sense of self nullification, just self existence. Where does this come from? So, this comes from, that's what al says in this letter. This comes from the essence of Hashem. Because only the essence of Hashem, Hashem is an absolute being. He exists. He's being. Doesn't need any justification. Just is. And that's what he instilled within us. And this is the point why he brings out this letter. And that's the reason why they put this letter, juxtaposed this letter to the previous letters, because in the previous letters he mentioned the advantage of mitzvot, the importance of mitzvot, in the previous letter, the actual mitzvah. So here the Alter Rebbe is bringing out the importance of the actions, the importance of the mitzvah, the physical mitzvah, taking the leather hide of the animal and putting on the tefillin, the physical mitzvah. Because it's the object of the mitzvah. It's when you take a physical object and you do that mitzvah. When you take something physical, the physical object is rooted in the essence of Hashem. More so than the soul. More so than the angels. More so than even the infinite light. Because the infinite light is infinite. But it has a beginning. It has an origin. It comes from Hashem. Hashem is like the sun and that emanates light. Hashem emanates from within Himself a light, a godly light, an infinite godly light. But it has a beginning. It has an origin. Only Hashem has no beginning. Not only is Hashem infinite, Hashem has no beginning. There's no origin. Hashem is. The only one who has this, has this quality, understands what it means to have no beginning. There's nothing in the universe, and not even the infinite light, that understands what that means not having a beginning. The only ones who understand what it means not to have a beginning, to understand what it means to be God, is us in this physical world that we live in. It's the physical object that just exists. No justification, no rhyme, no reason, no explanation. I am. I'm here. Why are you here? I'm here, period. And I'm going to continue to be here. I'll do everything in my power, self-preservation. That's the driving force, that's the motivating force behind everything that exists in this physical world. I don't need a rhyme, I don't need a reason. Oh, justification. This is godlike. this is absolute. This can only come from Hashem, who's absolute. So we are the only ones who know what God looks like. And that's why this physical world is the ultimate world. That's why the mitzvah, the deed, the physical mitzvah, the arm that's doing the mitzvah, and the object with which you're doing the mitzvah, is the ultimate. Much more than the spirituality, and the meditation, and the intent, and the love, and the sophistication. It's the physical doing the deed, the getting the mitzvah done, the action. And, that's why Hashem created This world that we're living in, this whole zeitgeist and this whole world that we're living in now, which seems to be so foreign and so alien and so strange to anyone with a philosophical bent or anyone with any sense of spirituality, any sense of truth, any sense of reality, any sense of depth. And we're living in a world that's the antithesis, seems to be the antithesis. Of all of that and yet we understand where it's coming from where this is coming from that Hashem invested his absolute essence in this world in the physical world in the world that we're living in, in this whole milieu that we're living in today This is the ultimate expression of Hashem's absolute essence. And therefore, that's the reason, that's the purpose why Hashem created the world this way, and why Hashem, the world that we're living in, is to discover the absolute essence of Hashem. The absolute independence of Hashem, the absolute being of Hashem. And this we can only learn from our ego. So only a world which is so egotistical and so divorced and disconnected from history, from past, from anything higher and meaningful, there's so much potential in this world. This is a world in which we can discover and connect with Hashem's essence. And that's the purpose. Ultimately, the purpose is Hashem, not God forbid we should remain egotistical and but to realize that this is the ultimate stepping stone to touching the essence of Hashem, touching the divine essence through the physical, through this world. So it's ironic that the Alter Rebbe, right before he's passing on and making the transition into the spiritual world, what's his revolution, his ultimate revolution, his climactic revolution, his peak revolution is that it's all about this world. And it's all about the physical. And it's all about the material. And this is the ultimate. And this is where it's at. And this is what it's all about. And this is the ultimate opportunity that we have to do the mitzvah. When the Hasidim saw this, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe said, springs of, of, of understanding and insights opened up for the Hasidim. And they learned a whole new appreciation for this world, because up until this point, we looked at this world with great disdain. It's a false world. It's a superficial world. It's a stone. There's nobody to talk to. There's nobody home. It's, it's, it's so discouraging. It's so it's so skin deep and superficial. And anyone who has content, anyone who's looking for truth, anyone who's spiritual, anyone who is meaningful, anyone who has depth, anyone who has a brain, you know, you have to reject the whole. And suddenly, by learning this letter, it created a whole, it's a whole new world. Suddenly we have a tremendous respect. We understand what's going on. We understand the opportunity that we have. This world is the ultimate expression of Hashem's essence, which is only known to us in this world. The angels, the higher realms, even the higher Svirot, even the divine Svirot, even the infinite light, doesn't know what God looks like. We know what God looks like in this world, in this physical world, the soul and the body, in the, cor- in the physical, in the course, in the crass, in the material. Suddenly it's a whole new world. And now we understand the mitzvah, how precious the mitzvah is, the deed, the action, taking the physical object, taking the estrog and the lulav, and the physical, taking the leather heart of the animal, doing the mitzvah, unleashing and revealing the essence of Hashem in the physical. This is, wow, this is completely revolutionary. You know, it shifts. Instead of the focus being on on the meditation and the spiritual and the the subtle, we realize how precious the physical is. So next week, please, God, we'll start the letter. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.